<laughs> I um, I want to just begin by saying Happy New Year to you all, and and um, I'm happy to be here to speak to you today. It's it's truly a privilege, and um, and so um, my prayer has been that you would be edified today from the Word of God. I'm going to cover a topic that I have dealt with a lot in my own life personally, and God has been teaching me. It's been a process of over time, and I haven't arrived yet, but God has shown me some things from His Word and from His Spirit working with me on this topic today. And so, I'm going to go ahead and get started. The the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says this, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And I love that verse because here really clearly God is saying that in everything that we do, our purpose in life is to glorify God. There's no greater purpose. That is why we are here. That's why God has, that's why we were born, and that's why He has saved us, so that we would bring Him glory. And um, when we look at God's divine law, the law of Christ, when Christ gives the greatest commandment, He makes it clear on how we can best glorify Him, and that's in Matthew chapter 22. Many of you are familiar with this. Jesus said, when He was asked, what's the, the greatest commandment? He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. And then Jesus follows up by saying, and the second is like it, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, upon these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So in our desire as Christians to glorify God, our focus needs to be on first on God, that we love Him, that our desire is to glorify Him and to love others as we would have them love us in the same way. And this morning, we're going to see how Christ wants to glorify Him as it relates to how we deal with our anger. The title of my message this morning is Glorify God by Putting Off Anger. I'm going to begin by defining anger. There's two, as I see it, two basic types of anger that the Scripture gives. One is the kind that I think that we don't experience too often, and that's the sinless anger. That's the righteous anger. That's the anger that God is in agreement with and that He, that He is a part of. Then there's another type of anger, the sinful anger. And that's the one that I'm going to be focusing on this morning. And the Bible says that to be angry and do not sin. So if you, let's look at this. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. He's writing under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Most of the scriptures that I'm using this morning are from the New King James Version. It's just the Bible that I happen to use. Um, your, your translation may say, may say, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Wrath essentially means anger, although I do believe that there is a slight difference, and I'll explain that later. So according to Ephesians 4.26, we can be angry without sinning. In other words, there is a sinless anger, as I've mentioned. And uh, this is an anger with a justifiable cause. So here's some examples that I've thought of. Here's a big one. 
for me and probably for all of you here, abortion. When I think about the, the, the killing of innocent life inside the womb, taking, taking what God has knit together in the womb and killing that, it makes me feel angry when, when I'm confronted with the reality of that. Um, uh, recent last year, we uh, heard about Planned Parenthood and how they're selling baby parts. I was very angry about that. Um, I, uh, I wish no harm on the people that are involved in that. My prayer wants to be that they would repent. I, ha- I don't want to have any malice in my heart, but that is, that is wickedness in the eyes of God. And as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we should be angry about that. And it should spur us on to do something. Another example is gay marriage. Let me be clear, I don't hate gay people. We are to love all people. Uh, when the Supreme Court decision came down in June, I don't know about you, but I was angry about that because our country has changed. Um, and giving license to this sin and also pressuring Christians to accept it. Um, another example is when uh, of, of a sinless anger, of a righteous anger, is when somebody um, tries to hurt your family, maybe a family member. It would be right for you to have an anger about that, but that anger has a purpose to protect a family member. So it, it's its motive is pure and right. There and there are biblical examples of godly anger. I've thought of basically two: one from the Old Testament, one from the New. My favorite from the Old Testament is Moses, when he's on Mount Sinai. He's there for forty days. He's there because God calls him to be there to give them to give him a summation of His law, the Ten Commandments for the nation of Israel. After 40 days, Moses comes down and remember what he sees? He sees the children of Israel worshiping an idol, the golden calf. Moses responds with righteous anger. He, he takes those tablets of stone and he breaks them. And not only that, he goes further. He takes the golden calf He burns it, grinds it to powder, spreads it upon the water, and he makes the Israelites drink it. That was a righteous anger. Uh, The New Testament example that I think of is Jesus. When, When Jesus goes into the temple and he sees... What's going on? That it's a, that's it's been made into a business with the exchanging of money, and also the buying and selling of animals for sacrifices. Jesus responds with a righteous anger, and he says, "You know, you shall not make my house a house of my house shall not be a house of merchandise, but a, but of prayer." What he does is he turns over the all the money and the ta- the tables. He has a whip of cords that he ma- that's, that he's made, and he, he dries everyone out. And that, that's a serious expression of righteous anger. And, and that comes from Jesus. And every time Jesus was anger, angry, excuse me, he was perfect in it. Because we know that Jesus never sinned. If we're honest with ourselves, though, this morning... Our anger is rarely godly, but almost always sinful. And it, it is this sinful anger that I'm going to focus on this, in this morning's message, as I've mentioned. So whenever I mention anger from here on out, I'm going to be referring to that kind of anger, the sinful anger. Now, there's many reasons why I see from Scripture, and I think that we can see from Scripture, why anger is sinful. The first reason that I think of is that when we are angry towards someone, we have animosity towards them. And animosity is a feeling of strong hostility. There are many degrees of hostility or animosity, but they're all anger. And the Bible says that we are to pursue peace with all people and to live peaceably with all men. And we can't be angry with someone and at peace with them at the same time. We can't really love someone as God would have us love someone if we're angry with someone. 
and we violate the greatest commandment, which is to love God and to love others. Philippians 2.3, if you would, please turn with me there. Philippians 2.3, we're going to read a couple verses. The Apostle Paul writes here, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Anger and selfish ambition go hand in hand. When we are angry, we are usually only concerned about who? About ourselves, right? About ourselves. And we're looking out for our interests only. And it usually has to do with what we're not getting or what we're losing. Anger is rebellion against God. It's a rebellion. And perhaps you're here this morning, I don't, I don't know what you're thinking this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, anger isn't a problem for me. And if that's... And if God has given you much victory over your anger, then praise God. Praise God. Because that's He is the one. He alone can give us victory over this, this issue. And may He be praised. As we look at some commands to put off anger, um, We need to, uh, I believe that most of us as Christians struggle with it. And the reason why is because God repeatedly addresses it. He addresses it um, in Colossians and Ephesians in particular. So let's, if you would, turn with me to Colossians 3.8. And let's look at this verse. It says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So the Bible clearly says that we are to put off sinful anger when we fall into it. We're to put it off. Now let's turn, if you would, with uh, to Ephesians four, thirty. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. According to this passage, how, how does God feel about anger? What would you say? It That's right. It grieves Him. It grieves the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Here in these two passages in Colossians and Ephesians, we see four forms of anger that God, that God identifies here for us. One is, and I'm just going to briefly go through them. One is anger, just generally speaking. Anger is an expression or a feeling of strong displeasure or hostility. Wrath is an expression of punishing and vengeful anger. Malice is a desire to hurt others or to see them suffer. And bitterness is a continuous anger that crystallizes in the heart. It's like resent, it's resentment would be a synonym. <clears throat> so now let's look at some of the causes, because I believe this is very important for us to either see for the first time or just if you've looked at this already to review. What are the causes of anger? Well, here's the number one cause that I believe. It's from our sinful nature. We were born sinners with a sinful nature. 
And I believe that's the underlying cause, the primary cause. And although we're no longer in bondage to our sinful nature because we've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus, we, and we're no longer um, slaves to sin, as Romans 6 says, we can choose not to put on the new man. We can choose not to put on the new man and not walk in the Spirit. But before we were regenerated, we had no power to put off the old man. But now that we've been made a new creation, we have a new man to put on. When we are angry, we fail to put on the new man. <clears throat> now there are two causes of anger that are, that are a result of our sinful nature. One is that our sinful nature causes us to excuse and justify our anger. And secondly, our sinful nature causes us to excuse and justify our anger by blaming others. So first, we excuse ourselves and justify our anger by believing that it's not wrong, or at least not that bad. And to justify means to show that something is reasonable and right. When we justify our anger, we not only excuse it as, as, as wrong, but we make it right in our own eyes. Now, however, the thing that we need to be reminded of is, is that sin, by its very nature, is deceitful. Hebrews 3.13 Sin, by its very nature, is deceitful. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that something is right to us when to God it's not. And we can fool ourselves. But we can't fool God. We can't fool God. So how serious is the sin of anger? Now to gain a glimpse, let's listen to the great lawgiver, Christ, for the answer. If you would, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Here Jesus is giving... The Sermon on the Mount. And he's correcting people's understanding of righteousness, of what is right in the eyes of God. So Jesus says here, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Here Christ destroys the notion that our anger is not serious. <laughs> and how does He do it? He does it by equating it with murder. Jesus warns that both those who murder and those who are angry will be in danger of the same judgment. And again, I'm talking about sinful anger. And this is to say condemnation. Now, of course, us, for all of us who are in Christ, by His grace, we don't face His condemnation. But this shows a glimpse, Jesus gives us a glimpse on how serious in His eyes Anger is. It's not something small in his eyes. Another cause of anger from our sinful nature is that we excuse and justify our anger by blaming others. Blaming others for us, or excuse me, blaming others for our anger is natural. And it's the nature of the old man. When Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they heard God walking and they hid 
because they were afraid. And God confronts them. Let's look at this. Let's please go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Let's look at the exchange between Adam and Eve and God in the garden after they had eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 9, Then the Lord God came to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I have commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. God questions Adam and Eve, not because He didn't know what they had done, but to give them an opportunity to acknowledge their sin. And although they admitted that they had eaten of the forbidden fruit, they excused it. Adam blamed, essentially blamed God. He said, the woman that you gave to me, she gave to me, and I ate. And Eve blamed the serpent. The serpent deceived me. Adam and Eve did not take full responsibility for their sin. Their sin in the garden was, wasn't just rebellion of God's command, but it was their failure to take full responsibility for their sin. Now today, as children of Adam, that's all of us here, we have inherited the propensity to blame others for our sin. It's inherent in our sinful nature. Now, as I've seen in my life, and as I have observed in the lives of others, not necessarily anyone here, but in the lives of others, the greatest cause of anger is to excuse and justify it by, and I'll say it one more time, by blaming others. All right, now let's look at some of the motives. The motives of anger. What motivates us? Why do we do it? Why do we feel it? Why do we, why do we have these thoughts? And why do we have these expressions of anger? Well, whether we're conscious of it or not, we want to control others. We want to control others with whom we are angry. When we want to control someone, with our anger and have no thought of Christ in His ways, what we're essentially doing is we're giving in to selfish ambition. In other words, we're just this. We're taking control. It's like we're, I'm doing this. This is the selfish ambition that James describes in James, the book of James, as demonic wisdom. James chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Our desire to control others by our anger is often through subtle or not so subtle forms of punishment. Our anger might produce the results that we want, but it never produces what God wants. Now let's look at some of the results of anger. Let's first look at what anger doesn't produce. If you would turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 19. This is what anger does not produce. Our anger. Not someone else's anger. Our anger. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Verse 20. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When the motive of our anger is to punish and control others, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. 
Now let's look at what the Bible says our anger does produce. <clears throat> the first thing that I have here is that it produces foolishness. I'm just going to re read this verse. It's Ecclesiastes 7.9. It says, Do not be quick in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. When we allow ourselves to be angry, God sees that as foolishness. Here's another um, result of our anger. Strife. Strife, in case you don't know, is arguing, it's um, quarreling, and it's often heated, but not always. It's bitter conflict and contention. So I'm going to read another verse. This is Proverbs 30, 33. It says this, For the churning of milk, as, excuse me, for the churning of milk produces butter, and the pressing the nose brings forth blood, so the churning of anger produces strife. As the stiffening of milk produces butter, so the stirring of anger in our hearts produces conflicts, and quarrels, and strife. Another verse that is a good parallel verse is Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Here's another result of our anger. Defilement. I'll explain what that means in, in just a minute. So when the more we give in to anger, the harder it is to maintain fellowship with that person. Please turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews 12, 14. <clears throat> Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Well, God here describes bitterness as a root. And like a root, bitterness often goes unseen. It can be hidden from others, and it can be hidden from ourselves. When a farmer sows and waters, he gains the produce. When we sow the seeds of anger, wrath, and bitterness, our produce is not the righteousness of God, but the poisonous fruit that contaminates many. I can give you a personal example just very generally. Um, I've had conflicts with my wife. I've given in to anger. And one of the ways that the Spirit of God has warned me is He's pointed me to my children. By his, and I thank Him for that. Because in my selfishness, myself, when I've given in to that selfishness, that selfish ambition, wanting my way, wanting to control the situation, and then God points me to my children. I mean, it's, God has brought me to tears at times, knowing that what kind of fruit is going to come of this? The Word of God says that the root of bitterness can defile many. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, our families are the most important thing. And so we must seek to glorify God by putting off anger in our families with our husbands, our wives, and other people. 
because it can contaminate our whole family. Another result of anger is it gives the devil an opportunity. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. We're going to revisit one verse, but it adds another. It's very important. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. When we allow our anger to remain, it produces a place to the devil. Literally, place in the Greek means a spot, a limited space, a limited occupancy. And and figuratively, it means an opportunity. So when we let the sun go down on our anger, that means when when we do not put it off, when we allow it to remain, we give the devil room to take up a space in our lives. Now, as, as, as we are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, He doesn't possess us, but He can sure influence us. And here is the, the most dangerous result of all, and that is separation from God. Now, I trust that this doesn't apply to to very many of us, if, if perhaps not any of us, but it might apply to someone today. What I mean is that if you have not been reconciled to God because of sinful anger in your life, and there's no one who has never experienced that, who has never sinned against God in that way, you will face God and give an account for your life. And if you have not yet been reconciled to God, you are separated from Him. You're in your sins and you're in great danger. But God, if that is you, God is calling you to repentance and faith. He's calling you by His grace to come, to receive the gift of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of eternal life because of His great love. And, and if that is, and if you do, and if, and if, if you do repent and believe, if God saves you by His grace, you won't, you won't have to worry about this. Okay, now I'm going to go over, um, uh, just a few verses when it comes to this, um, separation from God. I'm just going to read through this. Matthew 5, I'm going to go back to it. The reason why, um, this is such um, an obvious and dangerous result is because Jesus says that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So that is what someone will face. It will face God in judgment and in condemnation if they're not reconciled to God. And in Galatians 5, Paul writes, um, when he gives the works of the flesh there, he gives the works of the flesh and then the works of the, then the fruits of the Spirit. He writes, Now that the works of the flesh are evident, hatred, contentions, outbursts, outbursts of wrath, and I'm paraphrasing here, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are some examples of how serious the sin of anger is and how it results in a separation from God. And then in 1 John 3.15, says this, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And Christians might fall into the trap of hating someone. I don't know about you, I've done it. And I know it's grieved God greatly. But if we do that, we know that it is wrong. And we will seek God's help, His enabling power to overcome it. If we really know Him, that is Christ, we won't stay there. We won't stay hating someone. We won't, we won't continue to hate someone. Now let's look at the solution. The solution. How we can put off anger. 
Well, the first thing I believe we need to do is we need to examine ourselves. Um, the, uh, the Scriptures say in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, King David wrote this, Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my, know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And Psalm 51 that King David also wrote, it's a psalm of repentance. In verse 7, he writes, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So when we examine ourselves, it's not, it's not this, like, if I just... If I just do good enough in my prayer time, then God will show me. You know, we get, we, I believe we need to come to God knowing that, God, we need your, I need your grace. I need you to show me. You know, it's, if we're struggling with anger towards an individual, we need to go to God and we need, we need God to expose our hearts. We need to see our sin for what it really is so that we can cry out to God and ask for His deliverance. So that we could ask him to bring us to repentance. I'll, I'll share one other just brief um, thing about myself. When Sandy and I first got married, and my my wife is not here this morning. Most of you know that already. Um, we um, we had some adjustments to go through and maybe you can relate i was single all almost all my life i was 42 when i got married and um i didn't realize how hard it was going to be i knew it'd be difficult but we went through some major difficulties conflicts and um but you know i and we actually received uh we sought out biblical counseling in the first two years of our marriage. Not the whole time we were married, but within that two years we, we went and we, we um, met with a pastor and we received Nuthetic Counseling. It's called Nuthetic Counseling, which is biblical counseling. It's counseling based just upon the Word of God. No pop psychology, just the Word of God. That's what can change our hearts. And you know, God by His grace used that man and used the Word to really help us. And we're not perfect. Believe me. But God has done a work in our lives. It's very evident. By, and it's by His grace. And so, um, when uh, Sandy and I also, when we were um, courting, and, we, and I asked her to marry me, and we were engaged, we went through premarital counseling. And I remember we had two counselors. Uh, one was a man, one was a woman. Both... Uh, um, we believe to be very godly people. Sandy knew the people they lived in. Uh, they had a church in Orland. She's from Chico, so Orland's not too far away. And anyway, um, the, the, the passage that really stuck in my mind was for marriage is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And you know what that one is? When Jesus says, you know, um, when it says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And then Jesus goes on to say that um, remove the log from your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. So we were given what's called a log list. <laughs> and I had to keep tra I had to write all these things down. Okay, oh, okay, how am I doing, you know, what am I, how am I contributing to any kind of tension or any kind of conflict that we had and it was a really good exercise for me. And I'll tell you, God uses that scripture for me today. That's one of the main scripture he uses in my marriage. And also in my in my closer relationships, my work relationships. Because I've had I've had some conflicts at work as well in the past, um, and I'm not immune to those <laughs> uh, today. But um, w I believe that the, the way the Spirit wants to use this passage is that we would examine ourselves and look at how we are, what we're doing, how we are sinning, and then we take our eyes off of that other person. Not that they're sinless, 
Not that what they're doing is right necessarily, but that we're dealing with the log in our own eye. And when we really confess that to God, we agree with God that this is sinful and we want to repent. And our desire is not to to manipulate that other person to see their sin, but humbly come before them and say, you know, I'm what I've done is wrong. Would you please forgive me? And allow the Holy Spirit to work in that person's life. Not that you we always have to do it that way. Sometimes we need to lovingly confront our spouse a work associate or something. But, but many, many times I, what I have found is that that is not even necessary. That it's, if that person really is in Christ and they have the Holy Spirit, if I go to them and humble myself and I admit my, my wrong and I, ask, and I genuinely ask for forgiveness because there's anger involved. In a conflict, there's always anger involved. When that, when that person forgives me, and usually it's my wife, <laughs> um, boy, usually what my wife will, Sandy will say is that, honey, I've done this, I've done that, would you forgive me? Then we're back in fellowship. But you know, uh, what is, it's not by necessary our efforts, it's by the Spirit of God. And every time I've had a conflict with my wife, every time I've been angry in a sinful way, I've only been helped by the Spirit of God when I've gone to Him in prayer and I have depended upon Him. i put myself to the side. By I've cried out, Lord, I'm in bondage here. Sometimes I felt like I'm a slave to my own anger. But, but Lord, help me. Deliver me. I want to have fellowship with my wife. Help me to see this wicked, you know, my sin, so that, so that, I can, so that, so, so that we can be reconciled. God has shown me that's the best way to put off anger. My father-in-law, her dad, my Sandy's dad, counseled me this. He gave me some really good premarital counseling. This was after we were engaged. He said, Anthony, if you want to be a spiritual leader, you have to initiate humbling yourself. And I tell you, I mean, that has been a hard lesson for me. But it's one that has continues to come back. You know, not that I'm better than my wife, not that I'm spiritually superior, but I am to be an exemplary husband. I'm the head of my home. I'm the head of my wife, my children. I'm to lead them. I'm to shepherd them. I should be setting the example. And so his advice has really helped me. And the verse and this is the this is the 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 best verse that has helped me deal with anger out of all of them and i i'm not even sure where the address is so you'll have to forgive me i can look it up but it's in james and peter and it says this god says god resists the proud but but he gives grace to the humble so when i'm proud when I'm angry, when I'm having this sinful anger, I'm proud. I need to humble myself. And that's what we need to do. We need to humble ourselves. Because God says He will resist us. So we have to come before God. And if we need help with that, by the grace of God, He can help us even in that, to humble our hearts. You know, Christ is all-sufficient in all things. Um, so... Let me go on here. Um, another part of the solution, and I've, I've already alluded to this, is we need to stop blaming and take responsibility for our, for our, for our sinful anger and for our sin. Um, another uh, part of the solution, is, as I've mentioned, we need to put on humility. And that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to entrust our offenders to God. And, and uh, those who genuinely sin against us, who offend us, it's, it is natural to respond with anger initially, but it's how we deal with that that, that really counts. And, and, and Romans 12 gives such a great, um, gives great instruction about this. You know, 
I don't think I have it here, but I'll, oh, actually I do, so I'll just read it. It says here in Romans 12, 19, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So for those people who, who are just, who, they really sin against us. And therefore they're sinning against God. God doesn't want us to take that into our own hands. He wants us to give them over, praying for them that they would see the truth, that they would repent, and if they're not saved, that they would come to Christ. I mean, the law of Christ says, in Matthew 5, says, love your enemies. We're to love our enemies. <clears throat> a part of, another part of the solution, which is just, this covers everything, put on love. Uh, Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. When we are loving someone, even though they don't deserve it, we, when we, and we recognize we don't deserve it, but we, when we love them by showing them the grace of God through our, our, our actions, our words, and we're putting off our anger when we're doing that, God, God is glorified in that. God is greatly glorified in that. That's a love that the world does not understand. And love suffers long and is willing to trust God and wait for Him to work in the situation. When we put on love, we will be slow to anger, like God. And let me read from you, uh, or let me read to you um, from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Now finally, the last um, part of the solution is that we follow Jesus in all of this. This overarches everything as well. But there's a couple of verses that I want to share with you in closing here. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians 4 again, verse 32. Ephesians 4, 32. This is after, this is in the same passage that that God tells us to put off anger, wrath, bitterness, and that it grieves Him. And in verse 32, it says this, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as, as God in Christ forgave you. So according to this passage, we are to to forgive others, be tender-hearted toward them, and to be kind toward them, just as God, the Son of God, Christ, was and is toward us. He demonstrated His own love toward us. And even while we were yet sinners, He died for us. That is how we follow Jesus. That is how we love those that don't deserve it. That is how we put off our anger. That's how we stop seeking our own and, and seek to, to glorify our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus said seven things on the cross. And one of my favorite things is this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wherever you are in your life, maybe there's someone in your life that you are holding on anger toward, animosity, bitterness, hatred, 
God desires to work in your life. Christ, the lawgiver, desires to lead you to, to repentance so that you can put off that anger and put on His love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we all have sinned and fallen short of Your perfect standard and of Your glory. We have all sinned in this way. None of us are guiltless. We're all guilty, and we all deserve Your judgment, Your condemnation. But because of Your love, now we, we have a way to be forgiven. We have a way to be cleansed. We have a way for reconciliation, first with You and then with others. Lord God, I pray for all of us. If there's any person in our lives that we are holding on to anger toward, that You would deliver us by the Holy Spirit of God, that we would no longer hold on to that, but by Your power and Your power alone, the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ who lives in us, that we would put that off and that we would forgive and if possible, to reconcile. Father, help us to glorify You in all things in this new year. We are dependent upon Your Son, Jesus Christ, who is sufficient to do all things according to His will in our lives. So our desire is to is to is to open our arms and our hearts and to receive the fullness of all that He has for us to, so that we can rightly live our lives in a way that will please You and glorify You. So we commit this to You, Father. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Amen.